Do you have some? I feel like you should perform something for us. Yeah, you, it seems you, you like you, you have, have to something. Do something now. Are you a hippity hoppity artist? No, I'm. I'm... Are you gonna spit rhymes? I, that's what I do. Do, take yeah. the do it. Right do it. Now. Do, do it. something. Okay. Come on. Brian. 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 Live from the American Hebrew Academy in Greensboro, North Carolina, this is Unorthodox. It is a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Stephanie Butnick. Hi. And Leah Leibowitz. I don't think I've ever been sober in a high school before. This is a very <laughs> weird experience for me. I'll do my best. <laughs> He's from Israel. He's from Israel. So that's how they roll in Tel different, Aviv. Different rules apply. Different rules apply. Our guest this week will be the Jewish Christmas ornament salesman, Marshall Rausch. And... Who, who was also the first Jew in the North Carolina State Senate, which is a, st- a strange sort of honor. First Jew in the North Carolina State. There's, there's probably a club of like, were you the first Can Jewish say, like, You don't want to be rep- the first Jew in anything. That sounds ominous. Like the first Jew and like, no. Yep. I want to be the third Jew. The first <laughs> yeah, two like, Jews, see how they do. Then I want to come along. If things, they, go, like, well for the, if things out, go well yeah. for Jew one and Jew two, like, I can be in. Jew three. Yeah, I don't want to be. Um, and our guest Gentile this week is trumpet player Judith Saxton. Yeah. All right. So. Oh, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a fun show, and not only because you know we've done what this is maybe our sixth live show, and the average age at a live show is usually about um, 104, and the average age here is like 14. So I'm I'm sensing it'll be a different. Yeah, no, I'm like feeling like I'm back in high school. I have like a lot of social anxiety. I was worried I sat at the wrong table in the dining hall, like everything. I'm like wondering what I'm doing this weekend, like. Um, it is strange. You know, it really is strange to be back in high school. I mean, I, I, I actually went to a high school not unlike this, which had um, an unusually large number of buildings, you know, unnecessary superfluous amenities and, and buildings. I mean, this, we did not, however, have a climbing wall. This place has a climbing wall. I feel like high school has gotten a lot better since I left. This school has three Snapchat filters that say the school's name. Three! Okay, so between ninth and 12th grade, uh, I studied in a shipping container. Because there was no money for a building. Was that just you? Did they send you to the ship? Was that punishment uh, for Liel? You know, I wondered why I was all alone. <laughs> but no, it was a shipping container. It was lovely in the, in the uh, mild, you know, Israel weather in the summer. It wasn't an air-conditioned shipping container? Nope, it was not. <laughs> That's why I'm smart. But do you feel, do you feel this, there's all Jerusalem stone in, these, in all these buildings at the American Hebrew Academy. Yeah, so I'm, it's like, I'm do you used feel to, comfortable? Uh, I'm used to Herzliya grime. Uh, this is not Herzliya rust. You guys missed the tour. I got here at about uh, 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning. I got breakfast. Then I got the tour, which involved the climbing wall, the Olympic-sized pool, an explanation of every piece of Jerusalem stone in the edifice of every building, um, the geothermal uh, latrine system or something. I don't even, I don't even understand. There's, there's, they dug holes deep in the ground to cool the school, and all of it was engineered by a guy named Shlomo from, from Tel Aviv, who only gives this technology to this school in the entire world. Basically. So enjoy it, guys. So enjoy it. A little news of the Jews. It's official. The oldest living American is now a Jew. Did you know this? Yeah, they probably announced it over the loudspeaker. 
These guys know so much news of the Jews. There's nothing I can tell them to. Yeah, they don't know. I want to say this is our so target audience, but I feel like they are not going to be surprised by anything we say. Like they know everything already. They, in fact, are living unorthodox. We're just, we just do it one day a week, and they are living it. On Friday, 116-year-old Susanna Mushet Jones died, meaning that the second oldest American became the oldest American, and that is Goldie Michelson of Worcester, Massachusetts. So I would just like to, let's hear it for Goldie. Okay. So... You know who's not going to be the oldest living American Jewish or otherwise is Anthony Weiner, the former New York congressman whose Weiner got him in trouble. Uh, the new documentary about him is out in the theaters. I've actually seen an advanced screening um, about it's, it's this movie where he basically let camera people follow him as he campaigned for mayor, which was basically the stupidest thing one could ever do since he couldn't. Was he on Snapchat or what was his? I think it was Twitter. Twitter. That was the second round of his scandal, right? Right. That was part two. Yeah. So that new documentary is out. Anthony Weiner, of course, making Big Bank as a commentator for CNN. A prominent Iranian newspaper says it's going to hold another competition for cartoons mocking the Holocaust to test whether the West will apply the same principle of freedom of expression to the Nazi genocide as it did to the caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, first of all, didn't they run this competition already? It, it's, it's an annual competition. It's, it, like, it is so weird. And you actually like win a lot of money if you like make the, the best, con- in, it's in the best cartoon that like mocks the Holocaust or, or, or mocks the idea of the Holocaust. Could we enter? I mean, the thing is, I feel like Jews do such a good job of like playing with and mock, almost mocking their own traditions. I don't know. There's something there, but the it's weird not thing for, is, not for you know, that the logic, the logic of this thing's like, do you remember how we went on riots and killed a lot of people when you put cartoons that upset us? So now we, being the only people on earth uh, obsessed with cartoons, will do the same to Jews. Like, guys, you're the only ones who care. Right, no one cartoons. else cares about any of this. Last week, a Belgian cabinet minister called for a ban on the ritual slaughter of animals, a policy that would affect Jews and Muslims alike. Ben Weitz animal welfare minister in the government of the Flemish region of Belgium, told Radio 1 that because Muslims wouldn't accept compromise legislation, they would have to outlaw ritual slaughter altogether, which essentially means you couldn't do kosher slaughtering within Belgium. And I was actually unclear reading the story if they were sincerely looking out for the animals or if they're just trying to stick it to the Jews and the Muslims. They're doing something that only affects two minority populations. Like, it targets these people, and I think it's, it's not an animal... Right. I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's sort of discrimination masquerading as like animal rights activism, to be honest. First of all, anytime that Belgium, the child rape capital of the world, does anything, I find it funny. Second of all, imagine that like meetings, like what should we do? Should we investigate that terror attack that killed people while we were literally not going into neighborhoods to investigate because we passed a previous law that bars police from investigating people after 7 p.m. because it's rude? Or should we go... Wait, is that really the law? Yep. No yep, investigating yep. after 7 p.m. in uh, Belgium? I think it's 9 p.m. You cannot investigate people after 9 p.m. because it's, it's inhospitable. Uh, so if those, you do all your terror... Yeah, yeah, that's very if, polite. If you do all your terror planning after 9 p.m., you're good. They, they're the absolute worst. But let's talk about the animals. No. You don't care about the animals I'm at joking, all, I'm do joking. you, Liel? I find them delicious. <laughs> I feel Speaking lo- of delicious, I want to say dinner tonight was amazing. Yeah, you guys have a good, Grilled good chef's here. Grilled cheese and tomatoes, tomato soup. Some french fries? Amazing. In New York, that's like $38. <laughs> and takes 45 minutes to deliver, and you feel really fancy. I'm not even kidding. There's a place called Melchop that we, you know get stuff from basically this it's all downhill from here is yep. what we're saying don't go to college don't leave fail your classes stay here yeah, stay here people stay 
Jew is the Honorable Marshal Rausch. Marshal is a 92-year-old. Are you 92? Three. 93-year-old. Sorry, I didn't mean to shave a year off there. Ni yeah. yeah. He is a, you guys are going to applaud every clause in this sentence. He is a 93-year-old World War II vet. Yeah. <laughs> and Duke alumnus. where he played varsity basketball. Yeah. <laughs> now, was that on the real team or on the Jewish team? Did they put you on, the, the, like, the actual team? Yeah, the, the Methodist flats. I was with the Methodist boys. You were with the Methodist boys. All right. Uh, he was elected to the state senate in 1967, where he served 23 years. He was the first Jew to serve in the state senate. He was elected from a district that included his hometown of Gastonia, which at the time had 50 Jews out of 110,000 people. Is that right? Very close. Very close. About 60. Yeah. Oh, 60. Yeah. 60. I counted them. Six, min six minions. So, Gastonia worth. sounds to me like one of those made up countries in the Marx Brothers movies, right? <laughs> he also founded Rausch Industries, which is the world's largest producer of Christmas ornaments. Is that true? That is true. In fact, we made one million Christmas ornaments a day. But don't let, don't let that shake you up. We broke 40,000 Christmas <laughs> ornaments a day. So, I mean, how does a young Jewish child from Brooklyn, a World War II vet and a Duke basketball alumnus from Gastonia, decide, I know what I want to do with my, my multifarious talents. I want to make Christmas ornaments. How, do you, how, does that, how does that become the life plan? One day, a fella called me on the telephone and asked me if I could wind balls. We wound crochet thread, kite cord, and all kinds of wrapping cord. I didn't know what kind of a ball he was talking about. It was a Christmas ball. And we did start it, and we did patent it, and it was just a stroke of luck. It was just very good fortune. I can claim no credit. Wait, did you invent the Christmas, the Christmas tree balls? No, there were all kinds of balls. This particular, this, I'm famous for my balls. People know me. I don't know what's so funny. That's the way I made a living. What, what do creative staff meetings o over at the company look like, right? Because I, I went into a Christmas tree ornament store once and, and bought like uh, two different Elvises to hang on the tree, Fat Elvis and Vegas Elvis. Did, would you have like uh, these meetings to ascertain which kinds of ornaments you're going to come up with? Was there like big trends in different decades? For no, the, the satin ornament uh, was our leader. And from that, we went into glass ornaments, Garland, icicles, uh, Christmas uh, chemicals, that's the stuff you put on the windows and keep the tree alive with. We just, we were fortunate we used that satin ornament. What's your favorite ornament? Gosh, that's, well, yes, I will tell you, it gets a little technical. We were able to put uh, stripes on uh, 
glass ornaments automatically, but no one could put them on vertically. They were all horizontal, if you think. <laughs> and we developed a method of putting the stripes on vertically, and people paid extra money for that. That's all there was to it. <laughs> I will tell you a funny story. Yeah, we like those. Yeah, okay. that's fine. <laughs> My son was sales manager, and he came to me one day and said, we really got a big order, and I got a great price, and it was from uh, Baker, Jim Baker, who had that uh, big church down in South Carolina. And my son bragged to me because he got a price of a dollar and a half an ornament, which was a good price, and I complimented him. But after we shipped it, I was watching Jim Baker at midnight. He was on all the time. I liked to watch him. He took at that ornament. And he's told his people, this is a great keepsake. Got you, all of my people have to buy it. And he sold them for $25 a piece. <laughs> I called my son up, woke him up, and told him I'm going to give his job to Jim Baker. Did you ever, in spending lots of time with the Christmas products and in the sort of Christmas marketing season, which is very seductive, right? I mean, they do holidays better than we do. Did you ever think, this Christianity thing, I might want to check it out? Not really, but uh, I'll add this. My father, rest in peace, uh, lived with us when we were in our heyday in manufacturing. He said, why don't you make Hanukkah ornaments? You should make Hanukkah ornaments. Well, he pushed, and uh, he actually went to the design department behind my back and had them develop a line of Hanukkah ornaments. There was a Jewish buyer, I wish I could remember his name, at Target. He bought the Christmas ornaments. He's a good guy, and we were friends, and we did a lot of business with him. And I said, look, let's try Hanukkah ornaments. So he was kind. We made a whole uh, package of Hanukkah ornaments. Target took it in about 100 stores. It did not sell. So my father was very disappointed. I was, too. I love the idea that everyone behind like, the Christmas industry is like a bunch of Jews. Like, you make the ornaments, he buys them for Target, and like... It's From Jesus to Marshall Rausch, <laughs> brought to you by the Jews. Irving Christmas. Berlin, right, with soundtrack by Irving Berlin. Um, so, uh, why did you just, I mean, you, you, here you are, you have a happy, you, have, you had, uh, you were married, you had children, you had a, a, a Christmas ornament business that was flourishing, 1,300 employees. Why would you muck that up by running for state senate? Why would you go into a dirty business like politics? That goes way back to my childhood. As a kid, I, when I was in high school, I had kids' teams. I just loved to work with them. And when I moved to Gastonia and started my little plant, I helped develop, well, the Big Brother movement. And I had a boys' club. And recreation was stinking. And so I ran for the city council and got that. And we helped recreation. And then... About 1963, integration was a very big thing, and somehow I got appointed chairman of the uh, Human Relations Committee that handled integration in Gaston County. And we pulled it off. We had a great committee. We pulled it off without any interruptions, without any problems. And that was a stepping stone because the black people supported me, and I had no idea running for the Senate. One year, there were three lawyers running. I'm not big on lawyers at all. And so, uh, well... I'll, I'll tell my wife you said that. Okay. okay. Uh, she's a lawyer. If, if she's a, okay if she's not a plaintiff's attorney. 
I'll get letters from this. But anyway, I ran, I ran for the uh, state senate and won. And it did take me about eight years to be completely accepted. There was no anti-Semitism, but they just didn't know what to expect of me. And then after eight years, I got a big break. I was appointed uh, chairman of finance. But after all, you know, you join a club, you're the only Jew, they make you the treasurer, right? <laughs> so they made me chairman of finance, and uh, I had that job for a long time, and it, it was a powerful job, and it let me do a few little things. For instance, pass legislation that no private club could get a license to sell liquor, wine, or beer if they discriminated in their membership by religion. What that did was open the North Carolina country clubs. I was also able to uh, way, pass I, I a just, law. I just love this logic. Like, do you hate Jews more than you love whiskey? Uh, just your call. Yeah. It's genius. Yeah, round of applause for that. Fantastic. Well, if I'm, I may say, North Carolina is one of the only states where Yom Kippur is a state holiday, and I was instrumental. That was you? That was You're me. the guy? Oh, all right. Well, another fellow from Greensboro, Ted Kaplan, a Jewish guy who was in the house. So I want to give him credit. We did stuff like that that uh, helped a whole lot. So, final question. I can't let you off, off stage, as it were, without asking you about, up north, we've heard that there was a law passed down here about something to do with bathrooms and transgender and all that. What's your, what's your wisdom? If you were in the Senate today, what would you say about that? I would let everybody urinate wherever they want. You, you and my two-year-old daughter both. <laughs> so I have to ask, so I'm a, a Duke alum. Um, I gotta ask, you were on the, the basketball team. That's a really big deal, right? You may have been the last Jewish member of the basketball no, team. John no, John Shire. No. I did play varsity basketball, but here's the way I tell a story. I was a specialist. Today, you know, they have rebounders. They have three-point shooters. They have point guards who are fast as the wind. I was a closer. Now, what went like this? If we got 20 points ahead or 20 points behind, they sent me in and I closed out the game. <laughs> Marshall Roush, thank you for being our Jew of the Week. Yeah. All right. I'm of a white Christmas. Just like the ones I used to know Where those streets are Listen And children listen Mr. Senator Wow And he's why you guys are off for Yom Kippur That's right I, I forgot to ask him, where were the Jews supposed to hang their ornaments? I mean, that might have been why they failed, no, Marshall. They, it's like, we don't have a tree to hang the ornaments, so like, where are we going to put the No, the it's like in ornaments? Sky Mall, there's like the, the, the Jewish star for the top of the tree. So like, you know, everyone can get all of their... Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it limits the audience a bit. Um, so Tablet Magazine, you all should know, has a fabulous new print issue, which you can subscribe to on the web. Stephanie is the deputy editor of the magazine? Yep. 
senior sometime editor of the magazine? You're, you're up. Yeah, I'm the senior sometime editor. You're, you yes. do big stuff at the magazine. How can people get the print? First of all, can you, you want to tell us something that's in issue three and so, why yeah, we should subscribe? Issue three is um, coming out in time for Shavuos uh, in, time, in June. The cover is a secret, but it's but it's very cool. Um, it's an homage to the idea that on Shavuos, old Yiddish newspapers would publish political satire cartoons of like you whoever the leader. You will never guess who the target of the political satire is. Inside, there's some really good stuff. We have a David Samuels essay on Obama. We have an essay about uh, Gidget, the Jewish surfer um, who inspired the Gidget character, which you guys are all too young to know about. But I, I googled like it. You. you remember I googled Gidget. it, right. and it was a big thing. If people want to subscribe yes. to the tablet, the print edition, or as I call it, tablet. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy to subscribe. You just text tablet, T-A-B-L-E-T, to 66866. You can do that after you put your Snapchat filter on your pictures with your aha. 66866. Aha yes. All right. And now, guys, now a word from our sponsor. We are here at American Hebrew Academy. We're looking at all these fresh-faced young boys and girls, and I'm thinking a lot of these boys are going to need razors and cartridges soon. I mean, some of them might need them already, but a lot of them aren't really married to any brand yet, and that means we have a chance to tell them, use Harry's. A lot of them are going to be saying, oh, my dad uses Schick, or my dad uses Gillette, and the thing is you want Harry's because it saves you a lot of hassle, first of all. You don't have to go to the Walgreens or the Duane Reed and wait for them to unlock the case because the cartridges might get stolen. No, it's over the web. It's at harrys.com. You order your first set and then subsequent sets come in the mail. So it saves you a lot of hassle. The other thing is better prices. The Harry's starter set, it's called the Truman set. It's a great option for new customers. It's an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of this show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code UNORTHODOX. So you want to go to harrys.com right now, H-A-R-R-Y-S, no apostrophe, people, H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com, and make sure you use the code UNORTHODOX at checkout to let them know who sent you. And then you will be smooth, and you can send me an email at moppenheimer at tabletmag.com and thank me for recommending Harry's. It's now time for our world-famous segment, Gentile of the Week. Do you want to come on up, Judy? Our guest Gentile is trumpeter Judith Saxton, who teaches at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Woo! Also at the Duke University School of the Arts. No, I'm kidding. There is no such thing. But I just thought, I, I don't know, I thought I'd start something. I thought I'd mix it up a little. She also performs at the Shenandoah Valley Bach Festival. And in the early 90s, she was the principal trumpet player with the Hong Kong Philharmonic. She is also a certified Alexander Technique teacher. So you are, you've probably never been a Gentile of the Week before. I, I, I never knew quite that I was a Gentile, but now I know I'm a Gentile and a Gentile well, of the Week. you're not Jewish, are it's you? It's all at once. No, I'm okay, not. So Although then, okay. my name is apparently Jewish woman, Yehudit. She, in fact, it's true. So just how, just how non-Jewish are you? Like on the scale of really Jewish to... Like wasp. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Judith Saxton, so I'm Anglo-Saxton Protestant. So, wow, so you're really... <laughs> so so you're we, like all the way over there. Pretty much waspy. So, so we nailed this all the way. So I have, I have a question. And all I mean, these... we were searching far and wide in the state of North Carolina for a non-Jew. <laughs> yeah, it was hard, but here we are. Okay, so here's the most important question we have. Why trumpet? It was the loudest melodic instrument 
And uh, I'm also the youngest of four, and they, all the rest of my brothers and sisters played brass, and we were not well off, and we had a cornet already. And I ended up with it because I also thought it sounded really cool. Is a cornet a trumpet? A cornet is a trumpet. Now, why, then why'd you call it a cornet? A cornet is, uh, it's in the trumpet family. It's uh, exactly the same length, so it plays in the same key, but it's wrapped differently, and it's a little easier for somebody small to hold. So as someone who was with a, a, an orchestra, I've always wondered, is there kind of like an unspoken division between people in the orchestra? Like trumpet players are cool, drummers are weirdos, violinists are like psychotic. Like there has The wind to be, instruments are like... It has to attract different people, right? I'll definitely let you just go ahead and define everybody in the orchestra <laughs> because you're doing a great job already. No, but sometimes, you know, sometimes I look at them and, and there seems to be an affinity between different kind of sections. It's like, you guys all look like you're doing the... You you know, it is remarkable. A... I always wonder what comes first, the personality or the instrument? Because it ends up that, you know, in order to play trumpet, you have to have a great deal of confidence. And in order to play flute or, you know, maybe violin, I have a good friend here as a violinist, um, you have to be willing to be one of a, a herd or a crowd. I think they call it a section. <laughs> but um, <laughs> a trumpet, you're pretty much, you're one on a part. And so it requires a certain you know, personality types. So there's definitely different personality types. So you guys are the cool renegades of the we orchestra, are is what you're saying. absolutely the ones with the loudest mouths. And <laughs> now we tend to be leaders and we lead the brass section. And if we don't have a good conductor, we kind of lead from the back of the And orchestra. there are, of course, tensions between these sections. Oh, not like drama? No. Do they rumble? Everybody, everybody loves all of, everybody loves everybody. And the music is paramount and the conductor we enjoy more than anything else yes so as you know you're a phenomenally talented musician musician when you get in the car are you gonna like put on some classical music are you gonna like put on some like terrible pop music like what what's your what do you listen to for me none of the above um i listen to jazz okay now now we have to talk what what's going on Uh, why do you think so many people uh, are just completely disconnected from jazz. It seems to be like really alone among all genres, a, a, a small niche thing. And I say it as, a, as someone who profoundly enjoys it. I don't know why. Um, I'm the last person to ask to tell you why, because I think it's amazing, you know? Um, and I think it's like anything. A little exposure is not enough to all of your vegetables, to jazz, to classical music. You have to go, 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 and then you start appreciating it. And so if somebody doesn't want to study piano and you want them to and they start it and then they don't like it, if you and continue to urge them to study piano, for example, um, they will, I think, inevitably thank you later. I'm going to tell my daughter Ellie that. because Do you have kids? I do not. So how much resistance should you force them to overcome? I don't have how, kids, so I'm not qualified to answer this what, question. But you <laughs> teach music. No, but you teach, you're actually, you're more qualified because when it's your own kids, you lose sight and perspective. I mean, what's your advice to parents whose kids are really fighting them? In terms of uh, taking piano, for example? Sure, yes. Yeah, which to is take, a very fine, I mean, it's not right. trumpet, but it's way better than trumpet <laughs> because it's got so much, you know, it's all about everything you do in music comes out of piano. Well, there you go. There's your answer. Everything you do in music comes out of piano. And music is the universal language. Yeah, let's, so, let's get a, a piano, piano clap. Yeah. Thank you. So, Judith, would you, ki- would you be kind enough as to, as to play something for us? I can do that. Uh, I play here in Greensboro with the Eastern Music Festival, which is an incredible music festival going into its 55th year. And actually going back to what I was saying about the trumpet being a leadership instrument, um, our conductor is Maestro Gerard Schwartz, 
who's a well-known non-Gentile, which I think makes him a Jew. (laughs) And um, he's really quite incredible. He used to be one of the world's most famous solo trumpet players. And uh, Maestro Schwartz is a beautiful musician. And one of the, he conducts many, many composers really well. But one of the composers that he conducts, I think, I think the best is uh, Gustav Mahler. So there's this beautiful piece that shows the lyrical quality of the trumpet. And it's not actually played all the time. It's from his first symphony. Mahler wrote actually 10 symphonies. And this is from Mahler's symphony number one. And it's called, well, it's the Blumein movement. I'm sure I'm not German, so I'm sure there's a better way of saying that. Blumen, maybe. And it's really beautiful. And of course, Mahler was all about nature. So you can, I'm doing a very, very short snippet. And so you can just look outside and think about nature. Can you believe, can you believe that we went from this, we went from this to Drake in less than a hundred years? What about Justin Bieber? I mean. Um, now, join us because we have one, one more bit that we have to, you came, when, when we told you that you had access to a world-renowned super certified elite panel of Jewish experts. And we asked, did you have any questions that you would like to present to us? You said that you did have one or two. So what can we answer for you here? And anything is fair game. Uh, I actually lived in Skokie for 10 years. I was in Chicago. (laughs) And I noticed when I was walk, I would drive my little Honda Civic around on Saturdays that all the women were walking, but they had hats, I think hats on their heads. And I wasn't sure why, I thought it had something to do with piety or holiness or something. And I felt very unpious and unholy (laughs) not having a hat on my head. So I didn't know what it was. Stephanie? Are you saying that because I'm a woman? Yes, I am. That is sexist. We're saying it because of your fondness for hats. I do love a good hat. Like a backwards hat. Um, What I would say is they probably wear it every day, right? Don't, if you cover your head. No. No? no. All right, I pass. Leo? I flunked. I flunked out of Mark, a hot. I would like to. <laughs> are you going to give us the real answer at the end? I may. Right. So what you did. If, they are, if they are Orthodox women, as they likely were, probably. then they pro- many of them keep their, depending on the, the variety of Orthodox there are, keep their head covered in some way, shape, or form every day, perhaps often with a scarf or a wig. But there is a Shabbos hat thing, mm-hmm. right? That on the Sabbath, you would cover your head, you would have wear a head covering beyond your... Yes, like the little doilies. Your wig. That, that so, your well, so in some communities, it would be the little white doily. Yes. But in Orthodox communities, it's very often a hat. Liel? Yes. Do, would you approve it's, that answer? I would approve that answer. It's Shabbat. You want to be in your best. You yeah. wear your finest clothes. And instead of covering your head in an in a ordinary daily manner, you put on a beautiful garment. 
But you wouldn't normally cover it every day if you're an Orthodox If you're an Orthodox woman. But married, you would do it more yes, finely and more beautifully. Well, there are different gradations, and yeah. yeah. You, you dress up for Shabbat. It's like the Kentucky Derby. That's right. Now I have a question for you. Now, wait, wait. Cat game on fleek. Nor- <laughs> normally we end with the Gentiles question for us, but I actually have a question for you while we're on the uncomfortable area here. So the classical music used to be dominated in America by Jews. Yes. I feel we've been edged aside by the East Asians. Mm. As someone who's not Jewish or Asian, do you often feel like I'm the wasp in the room? <laughs> do you feel discriminated against? No, 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 no. I, I'm a woman playing a trumpet, so any weirdness I have is related to that. You're the woman in the room. Okay. <laughs> Judy Saxon, thank you for being our Gentile of the Week. Thank you. All right. couple things. First of all, we love mail. We love your letters, even when you basically tell us that we suck. For example, we got this letter this week. Hi, Stephanie, Mark, and Liel. I'm a longtime listener and a big fan of the podcast, but almost every week I wonder, why is a show that bills itself as a smart, fresh, fun weekly take on Jewish news and culture so devoid of content relating to Jewish news and culture? Just being Jewish does not qualify a person to be a guest on a podcast about Judaism. And not being Jewish certainly doesn't qualify a person to be a guest on a podcast about Judaism. Instead of adhering to your rigid and ill-conceived format, just book guests of whatever religion who have something worthwhile to say. Yours truly, John Heller. Thanks, John. Why do you listen to us so much if we're so awful? I have to say... That's like this is like our thing. Like we have a Jewish guest and then right. a Gentile. He's the week. That's like, like our. That's the oh, the one thing we do that's different from other podcasts. Well, that's the most Jewish male you could ever like. I really like your podcast, except for I don't like anything about your podcast. <laughs> now, why don't you do the podcast the way I want the podcast to be? And why is it weekly? I'd, I want a daily. It's, great. it's a real and such small portion situation. And then our favorite letter of the week. If John Heller's was our least favorite, but we still love you, letter of the week. Our most favorite letter of the week is this one. This actually might be our most favorite letter ever. Dear Unorthodox, I just wanted to write and tell you how much I love your podcast. I have been a faithful listener since the beginning. I drive a lot for work, and I always look forward to getting in the car and turning on the next episode. I love that you all have different opinions on politics and still get along great. I went through a difficult breakup a few weeks ago, and this show is one of the few things that cheers me up and makes me laugh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Kate Sloat. Kate... Kate, that's the sweetest thing anyone's ever Kate, said to Kate, whoever he or she was, she's, or they uh, are so not worthy of you. Yeah, totally. You're so much better than that. Stephanie, do we have any Mazel Tovs of the week? Liel? Um, my Mazel Tov goes out to Mustafa Badradin, the senior Hezbollah commander in Syria, who was assassinated uh, this week. Um, Mustafa, 
Mustafa, you're now, you're now in heaven uh, meeting your 72 virgins, and they're all named Shlomo. Congratulations. <laughs> so, your mazel tov was to Mustafa for, for being dead. Yep, basically. Ma- mazel tov you, I have your... to say, I got a standing O here. <laughs> Stephanie. Oh, my mazel tov is to my friend who's here, Irene. She's getting married next month. Yeah. Irene, Irene Rudnick to be. Um, and I just want to give her, we love her. She drove me here. She's driving me home. Irene had her debutante ball not 10 miles from here, and uh, she's back. She's back in the South and ready to... She's already planning her future children's debutante balls. She's also planning your murder. <laughs> but it's going to be, like, very polite. Uh, my mazel tov this week is to Thomas Manning of Halifax, Massachusetts, who this week got the first-ever penis transplant performed in the United States. Mr. Manning who lost his manhood to cancer several years ago, was given a new penis by one Dr. Dickon Coe. Oh, that was a hit with the 13-year-old boys. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. But be warned, we might read it on the air. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. It's on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivory and Alyssa Goldstein. Our rabbinic supervision this week was by Rabbi Harold Lindenthal. Our kosher slaughtering was performed by the Russian Olympic Committee, who helped keep us drug-free. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at tabletmag.com, MarkOp1, Stuffism, and Liel. Thank you, American Hebrew Academy, and Shalom! Wait, 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 Stephanie's got other video. By the way, you don't have to be nervous. It just goes in the air to tens of thousands of people who would hear you this Thursday. This is a big break. Yeah, so you're cool. This one, this one isn't exactly a freestyle, but I'll do it you're anyway. You're so big and great, yeah. neck. Skokie. I can wait too much from my mantle. I learned from what I've been through. I didn't do what I didn't do so waking up with the regrets too. Not complicated, it's simple. I got sanctuated a whole band full. Tell them girls I'm everything but everything but gentle. So we'll see my time, man. I guess I'm just old fashioned. We're retro, that's old fashioned. See what I'm saying? No closed caption. I paint pick, see the good, need it on the flow. Year round like season picks. I plead the fit, string the fit, load nine leaves, play in half, smoke half, needs it. When the girls on glee, probably make more money than me. I swear they got 99 problems, but I ain't one. I got 99 problems, getting rich ain't one. Like I got trust issues. Sorry for the people I pushed out. I'm type to have bulletproof, what? And still gotta push it. Ooh.